Hey everybody, Luke here. Just wanted to quickly jump in here before you listen to the podcast and say thank you so much for taking the time to type in Now We're Talking into Spotify. If you're hearing this message, that's because you guys are listening to it on Spotify and this is special to you. You're really in for a nice tree here with Bernard Nolan. Just wanted to let you guys know that I really appreciate you. Wishing you nothing but peace, love and positivity. And also remember that this is also a visual podcast. So you can go onto my Instagram, luke.malin or you can go onto YouTube and type in Now We're Talking Podcast and you can find it there. Uh, we have some really beautiful scenes shot by Film Street. A uh, big shout out to them. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to do this again. Enjoy the episode. Hey, welcome to the second episode of Now We're Talking. And we have Bernard Nolan. Uh, Hi, guys. The Bernard Nolan, man. You're an amazing person, I have to admit. All right? I know that I haven't buttered you up all day and I've been waiting for this moment, okay? Burt me up all week. But uh, the first thing I wanted to talk to you is not about the successful businesses you've had and the most amazing story you have about you and just your whole life. It's that you have a new child and you are now a father of a daughter, which is a little bit different, in my opinion, to having a son. Absolutely. How's it been? It's been fantastic. It's, it's lovely. Um, you know, seeing your seeing child come into the world, I don't think there's any better experience and actually watching that firsthand you know i've had many experiences so far in, in, in a very limited amount of time but uh no seeing her come into the world now is absolutely you know i, I can't even give you words for and, what that and is. she scarily looks like you yeah that generally uh, is, that's uh, kind of what happens when you have a kid you know they, yeah. they do kind of look like you now luckily yeah. enough um you know freya really is this the image of me which is slightly yeah. scary so when you have my uh baby photo and Freya's baby photo side beside it's, it's actually scary it is crazy um, but and, yeah. uh, I always see when you get photographs sent through to you of her you, your face just lights up has a has the experience of, I know that you, you have uh, know it as well yeah. um, but uh, just because it's not not it's just that when it comes to a daughter mm-hmm. I feel there's something different change in Absolutely. you yeah because yeah, I've noticed the change well what's happened is is you realize your life is screwed that's it <laughs> it's gone you know she, she already has my heart she's always going to have it for the rest yeah, of her yeah, life of so course. Like, you look, said you fell in love again that's what you absolutely said. yeah yeah which is great so listen I know we're going to segue into a few different things here but one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about Bernard was um which is so weird how I'm starting off with this right but in 2015 you were in Dubai and there was a moment where you went skydiving and I, and I read an article uh, that you wrote on LinkedIn, which was amazing, called mm-hmm. The Leap of Faith. Yeah. And a lot of the events that happened in your life ended up leading up to this one moment, uh, I suppose, when you jumped out of the plane. So before we get into the, the crazy stuff in your life, <laughs> all right, can I ask you, you were up there um, with Michelle, uh, isn't that correct? Uh, no, Michelle. Michelle was left on the left on the ground. Actually, she oh, okay. uh, yeah, she, right, she, okay. she decided that um, jumping out of airplanes wasn't really her thing. <laughs> and you decided it was and definitely for you. Well, to be, to be fair, actually, you know what? I, I thought it was a good idea at the time. Um, so on the ground, I was like, "Yeah, this is great. Can't wait to do it." Um, you know, the reasons why I decided to do uh, a skydive in the first place was, you know, a story in itself. Yeah, really. yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like you know, I was thinking to myself, okay. You know, I've been through a lot. I've had a lot of things go on. Um, I've had a lot, a lot of negative and, you know, some positive experiences. So, you know, my idea was is let's go up 14,000 feet in the air, bring all those negative experiences and leave them up there. And then the minute I jump out of a plane, a whole new beginning starts. So, um, yeah, it was all good. And I kind of was looking forward to it and everything was great. And you know, I'm an aviation enthusiast. I love anything to do with aviation, I anything know. to do with planes. Stops me dead in my tracks. So, to be honest with you, the whole time I was kind of 
not really thinking about the skydiving, more thinking about the plane and having a chat. And then I was, chat I was actually sat just behind the pilot, so we were chatting away, who happened to be Irish as well. Yeah, yeah. So we were having the, having the crack, uh, and he was just, you know, telling me a little bit about Dubai, telling him about, uh, he was telling me a little bit about, you know, his flying experiences there. Uh, and then the person that I was actually skydiving with then tapped me on the shoulder and was like, uh, yeah, we're actually going to jump out now. I was like, oh, about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, hold on a second. I'd rather, I'd rather uh, stay. Yeah, how, how high? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, no, it, it was a bit of a crazy experience. And then um, the was girl... Was it as Sorry, the, is the, uh, was it as... I've never sky, like, done skydiving before. It's always been a bucket list thing for me. Is it as exhilarating and as amazing as uh, as everyone says it is? Like, what, oh, what, it is. Like, what sort of thoughts are you having mid-air, 14,000 feet? You know, what, what is it that was going through your mind, especially with the philosophy as well as you had behind it, which was yeah. leave this part of my life where, you know, in the past and moving into this new one, the real leap of faith that you were talking about. And yeah, like that's, it's a good question. And I think what's going through your mind is, is a load of things really. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to, to pinpoint exactly what it is, but- There's a lot going like, on. <laughs> there's an awful lot going on. Particularly when, like, when the girl that was just before me um, she was from Russia and we were, we were having a chat as well and mm. she was a small tiny little thing and sitting um, I was next to go uh, well I was actually the last person to go um, the best for last of course yeah of course yeah, and I then was... um, as we were standing at the door of the plane uh, I just seen her exit the aircraft and literally just went just like that I was like oh god oh my god oh god so I then, never even thought of that because it's not like the plane hovers, oh, it's not. like it's you being sucked. Yeah, so the, so, so the plane is traveling, you know, you know, at 150 or 200 miles an hour. Yeah, of course. And then you're jumping out into a wind, and then as soon as you hit wind blast, then you go, you know, in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so she went flying, and then <laughs> in my head, then <laughs> I was still like, it's crazy, and, and I can relate this then to a number of different experiences then um, I had in the business world, um, where your your heart is telling you one thing. And then your mind is screaming at you, telling you a completely different thing. Mm. So you know your 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 heart is saying, yeah, "You're talking do about it. passion." Absolutely, your heart your heart is saying, "Yeah, go for it. Let's let's do this." And then your head is saying, "No, this is a terrible idea. Don't do this. You're gonna die. Not a smart move." Um, so yeah, so you kind of have to learn then from as well. I learned from my own experiences then is that you know sometimes leading with your gut and your instinct and your heart um, can overweigh sometimes what's actually in your head yeah so yeah and you have to just be able to distinguish you know the reality of a situation as well you can't really fall too far on one end without having a dose of reality of like okay i need to do certain things in order to have my life you know a little bit normal but it's only for normal people right <laughs> because if we were to because a lot of this it's so funny how nobody listening really knows the, the story just yet and we're going to get into it that when you're saying things to me I have these ideas bouncing up. That links to this, and this links to that, and this links to this. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I wanted to circle back to really quickly is one of your first passions, okay? And one of your first passions at three years old, or five years old actually I think it was, yeah. was that you wanted to be a pilot. That's it. it was all based around your father essentially saying to you that, you know, to, to follow your dreams and, and, and work hard and, and you can do it, you know, and do something. Yeah. So you ended up, what's up bro, how are you? Good to see you. <laughs> and, uh, what ended up happening was at 13 years old, you had your, was it your first flying lesson? That's right, At yeah. 13 years old? So for- what, what the, Is that even legal? Are you able to well, do actually, that? Well, actually, yes, you are. Yeah, and, and legally at the age of 16, you can fly a plane on your own. So you can fly solo. That's to be 16. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it kind of started way before that. Um, so, you know, we would always have our, you know, Christmas would come around and we'd start our Christmas decorations. But there was a rule in our house is that you would have to start the Christmas decorations at least, and I mean a minimum, 
of two or three days prior to when they actually needed to go onto the tree. Okay. So I'd turn the entire hallway into a landing strip. <laughs> I'd get all the Christmas lights, I'd put them all down either side of the, of the hall, so it was an absolute perfect runway. Mm. And I'd have all my little airplanes and I'd be in and out in the hallway all the time. It was a no-go area, basically. Um, yeah, so... Is that know, something that you're teaching your kids now? Is uh, that something that's being brought actually, into yeah. your house? Fre Freya, like Freya's first toy is an airplane, and that's going to continue to happen. Um, you know, I want her to be able to think that anything, she can achieve any of her dreams, regardless of yeah. what the industry is, how many men is in that role, if it's flying, if she wants to be an astronaut, God only knows what she wants to do. Yeah. I want to support well, with, the, with the burner, with the B-Dust uh, DNA, I'm sure she'll be, uh, <laughs> she'll, she'll be successful. She'll be no successful, absolutely. Yeah, uh, so that kind of circles back and it's, it's kind of funny uh, how, you know, you look at your daughter now, brand new person in the world, a brand new little baby, uh, not even a person yet, it feels almost <laughs> just like this person you have to keep alive, right? But we, we think back to your childhood and kind of where you came from. And, and again, I don't want to go too deep into anything that you're not comfortable speaking about. And yeah. I know that you're a very open person with people like myself or at the mm -hmm. pub having a, having a point. It's a bit different than being on camera. But I mean, just for the people watching, and, and I've, I've heard parts of this story and maybe read a little bit about it, but yeah. can, can you explain like a little bit about just your experience from like, because I feel like your mindset really comes from the, the beginning of your life like the beginning of your life really it, is just a completely different to everyone else i mean do you, do you look at freya and say god you just don't even know how lucky you have it right now like uh, yes yes and no I, I i think um for me personally like you know the beginning of of how i ended up here how i'm actually speaking to you now how freya came about you know was all a a, a chain of events and sequences that were never supposed to happen um, which is which is crazy. So that again, that in itself is another story. Um, and can we get into that story? Yeah. So so basically, uh, making a very long story short, um, it was I suppose back in uh, 1989. Um, it was R Romania. Um, it's, it's it's a whole country in itself, and mm. what was going on at the time was aired to the world. So it was part of the Soviet Union. It was closed off. Um, and then when the fall of the Soviet Union happened, um, communism was starting to fall. Um, you know, what was actually going on was aired to the world. Mm. Um, and my mom and dad one day was sitting at home and they were watching TV and they seen what was going on and they were like, right, okay, we got to do something about this. You know, they could, they could have kids and they wanted to have kids. So what were they seeing on TV? Um, it was orphanages, there was kids that were starving, um, there was like, the country was basically on the brink of famine, there was civil war, there was a lot going on. Um, well, and little Bernard is yeah. lying there, <laughs> all this is going on and, and, and little Bernard's sitting there being one of these children essentially. Yeah, well I was, I was in an orphanage, um, so what happened there was my mum and dad wanted to go and, and they wanted, well, they wanted to do whatever they could to help. And this will come back to, you know, a number of different topics that we'll probably talk about. Mm. But that's basically ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Yeah, it definitely, um, definitely. And, you know, as we go on, um, I'm going to introduce you to some of my friends, some of my colleagues who are very much ordinary people doing, doing extra absolutely extraordinary, extraordinary things. Um, were your parents. Yeah. So with them, um, yeah, they so decided to go. Um, they wanted to adopt one boy and one girl. Um, the way that works is you make, an, you make an, um, an appointment to go and see a child that you want to adopt. You go to the orphanage um, and then basically you just adopt the child. Yeah. It was a fairly streamlined process. Yeah, yeah. At, the, at that time, <laughs> it was a little bit easier to get children. Well, actually, you'd be surprised. No, it was, a, it was actually, the country, it was actually quite difficult. Okay, um, really? There was a lot, of, uh, a lot of paperwork had to be done, a lot of admin um, and so on. So 
what happened there was, and again, this is just condensing this story condensing quite a bit, story, yeah, of course. Um, is they got an appointment on the same day at the same time. And the only problem was um, one was in Constanza and the other one was in Bucharest. So that's right. like the distance between Dublin and Wexford. Okay, so obviously that's helpful. Yeah, so that was in, in Bucharest and Constanza. So um, they couldn't be in the same place at the same time. So, you know, my mom and dad had to make a very brave, and still to this day, it's like, you know, they always amaze me at stuff they do. Um, but they made a very brave decision that they were going to part ways. One was going to go and see uh, the, boy, the boy that they wanted to adopt, and the other one was going to see the girl that they wanted to adopt. So they went to separate ways. Um, Mom rocked up to this orphanage, walked in. Um, you know, she still reminds me and, and tells me certain parts of the story. Um, but, you know, there was a hole in the ceiling. So anytime it rains, the water would come in. Um, there was kids that were in, um, I suppose they were like little cots. And some of these kids, unfortunately, were gone past the stage where they were adoptable or not that they were, they were adoptable, but you know, people that were looking to adopt kids. That's such a cr they crazy actually, thought in my mind, yeah. like for someone not even being able to be adoptable. Yeah, so, so mum walked in, um, she arrived in and so signed in and the receptionist was uh, standing there. Um, and the way, the way things would work then is that you're, you'd get signed in and you could be waiting there maybe four or five hours. So at this stage, after six weeks been in, um, mum figured out that, you know, the odd lipstick or a pair of tights then would get your application put to the higher <laughs> because it was such a poor Absolutely, area yeah yeah so reception sitting there and then if she got slipped a nice little uh, lipstick or a nice pair, pair of new tights which are hard to get into the country anyway um, it's not a bad trade for Bernard absolutely yeah so your, your, your uh, application gets put higher on the um on the next list anyway so anyway um with that then um mom gets brought into this room and of course a baby comes along and wrapped up in a little blanket and um this baby gets put into my mom's arms and she's like, you know, ah, oh, she's beautiful. She's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and of course the plan was to adopt one boy and one girl. Um, and at that then, mom opened up the blanket and realized, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> Bit of an issue here. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the girl. <laughs> well, and she, did she discover this in there or was she walking oh, out? I, oh, or so I was already in my mom's arms at this stage. And she realized that, you know, this should actually be a girl. Um, so what happened was due to an administrative error. Yeah, that's actually literal, literal literally because someone messed up in paperwork or the lady outside was too occupied looking at her uh, uh, lipstick. brand new lipstick <laughs> <laughs> uh, the applications got mixed up and i ended up getting put in my mom's arms um, and at that stage instead of saying no i want a girl i came here specifically looking for a girl as most people probably would uh -huh. um, my mom said no you know what i'm taking him but she was terrified to say anything to my dad about it so said nothing uh, adopted me there and then um, and then the following day when they met up, um, my dad was like, oh, let me see her, let me see her, I can't wait to see her. Um, and my mom put me into my dad's arms and turned around to my dad and said, Bernard, I've something to tell you. And he's like, yeah, well, what's wrong? And it was like, it's actually a boy. And then my dad opened up the blanket again and the same thing was the story. He's like, oh. Your dad's name is Bernard? And my dad's name is Bernard, hence why I'm called Bernard. I didn't know that because you only referenced him ever as dad. So I never yeah. that. that's amazing. Yeah. So, so I'm actually called uh, Bernard after my dad for that specific reason actually because he always said he wanted to um to call his first son um bernard after himself and funny enough he actually adopted my other brother alan 
um, as well. So instead of calling Alan Bernard. Shout out to Alan. Poor Alan. Poor Alan. You got done over on that one. Over on that one yeah. Sorry. Supposed to be a girl uh, and he actually took your name. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, shout out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, so that's that kind of a little story in itself there. So you fly back then to Dublin. So we come back to, to Dublin um, and then, you know, everybody then is, you know, absolutely ecstatic that my mum and dad are home after six weeks and, you know, they, Sorry, they've, got, they've got the two kids that they've wanted. Um, if anything, even better. Again, they came back with two boys. Um, yeah, and I was only three weeks old at the time. So literally three weeks, life begins from there. Perfect. And it was never supposed to happen. I know that sharing these stories and stuff as well isn't exactly the easiest thing and, and uh, 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 especially I know you're doing me a massive favour here, I just want to say thank you so much for it. In general, you know, we're, hop we're going through a lot here and I think what I want to segue into and, and I suppose you can kind of you bring it in the direction you would like to but one of the main things um, that stands out to me is just your attitude towards life man like in general like seriously like it's an absolute pleasure to, to the fact that I have someone like you in my life all the time is an absolute pleasure like you really do motivate me I think it becomes from the it comes from your your crazy experiences that you've had so after like this you know the adoption you, you know you come home you, you kind of grow up you you want you have these big dreams uh, I know you, st you start working in airports just to annoy all the people to see if you could get in with yeah. them and all the rest of it you seem to be living the dream a little bit I think from there, um, well, thanks a million, firstly, like, of course, and more than delighted to have you. Me son. So, yeah, no, I think for me, it's, it was a case where um, I knew what I wanted to do at life. Um, from a very early age, I knew, okay, flying was my dream. Um, I want this to be my career going forward. So I was like, right, well, how can I keep myself motivated to achieve that dream? Um, so, you know, what I ended up doing was I knew like from the research I was doing, even at the age of 13, 15 and 17 uh, throughout school was that, OK, I've, there's two ways I'm going to be able to become a pilot. And that's um, getting a cadetship, which would be incredibly difficult. Um, and then the other way is then it is uh, a sponsor or paying for yourself to basically paying yourself to become a pilot. So you have which to train. Which is extraordinary amount of money. And it's an awful lot of money. So you're looking anywhere between 80 to 100,000 euros just to, you know, actually qualify to train, to become a pilot. Then on top of that, then you'll have to do your type rating, which would be, you know, again, another 20,000 euros just to qualify on a certain type of aircraft to fly. So in total, you're looking at 120, 130 grand. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, not only is it a rich man's game, like there's a lot of people out there um, that have been in a fortunate position um, where their parents have, you know, really backed them. Um, they've remortgaged their house um, in order for their kids to achieve their dreams. Um, a fair play to them it's absolutely you know it's mind-boggling as to what some people can actually do for, for their kids uh, unfortunately in my case that wasn't um, going to happen like we have I've got three other brothers my mum and dad have got four uh, four kids in total so remortgaging a house just for one I don't think was fair uh, and I wouldn't have asked that for them so I knew right okay um, I know what I need to do I know it's going to be an awful lot of work involved I have to study my ass off and I also have to work as quickly as I possibly can in order to make money so I can start putting that aside to do extra flight training. What age were you um, when, this, when you were thinking all of this? God, I think I was like nearly, what, 16, 17? Like even down to what subjects I was taking in my leaving cert, I had to figure that out. I was like, okay, I knew I needed physics, I knew I needed maths. Geography was obviously going to be one that like, would be that's helpful. Such, I was thinking when I was, I was 17, I'm 26 now, you know, I'm thinking of 17 and like, I only started really thinking of these bigger goals when I started to achieve things. Mm -hmm. And you seem to have almost had this, uh, this instilled in you from your, I think your dad was a massive influence on you as well in regards to like, not saying well, yeah. that he did everything for you, but I'm saying that just, 
the, the, the way, the things he would say, his sayings, even yeah. when in, the, in, in a bit we're going to talk about the other story of kind of, you know, yeah. when you're recovering and stuff. The, um, so you're 17, this is on your plate. Yeah. Is it weighted? Is it weighted on you? Are you feeling this pressure of like having to do this or is it no, more just fun like, like, it's, it's fun and passion. Like, look, you know, I can tell and I know just from you as a friend, but also I know just from talking to you that you're very passionate about what you do now. Mm. So, you know, um, once you're, you do something you're passionate about, work is not a job. Yeah, you're you know? so right. Like, you know, it, it just becomes something that you're getting paid to do that you do for free. Yeah. Um, so I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew how I was going to get there. Now I just needed a way of actually funding it. So um, I, before the days of Indeed and job boards and all that other stuff that was there, um, I went the old route and I actually walked up to Dublin Airport and I knocked on every door of every operator up there, Aer Lingus, Ryanair, Cityjet, Sky Handling at the time, um, all these operators that was there, <laughs> handing in my CVs. <laughs> absolutely, just handing in a CV saying, look, I'm here, I want to work, I want to become a pilot, um, give me a job. Um, and I got no after no after no. Um, you know, I was just fresh out of school. I had no previous work experience. Um, and then um, one of the days I actually, just by pure chance, picked up the phone, rang uh, another operator, um, a handling agent there called OCS. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it was like you can relate back to almost like your first time you make a cold call. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're expecting a customer not to answer or go to yeah, voicemail. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, you you're know. Fully engaged and ready to go. Yeah. So just literally after two rings, this phone answers. It's like, you know, like Derek speaking. I'm like, oh God. Straight away, I was like, oh, I'm not ready for this. Um, so look, I just explained to him on the phone. I was like, look, I'm looking for a job. Um, I see that you guys are, I've heard that you guys are, are currently looking for staff. Um, look, to be honest with you, I want to work with you guys on a long-term basis. I want to become a pilot. This is why I want to join, blah, 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 blah. Um, spilled my whole story. This guy was probably saying, who is this fella after ringing me? Like, what is going on? Well, fair play, he's listening. He's listening. Um, and then he said, yeah, look, tell you what, come up to the airport tomorrow, bring your passport with you, bring your CV, and let's see what we can do for you. Um, so Derek was his name, and we forged a great relationship over the many years. He did give me a job. I managed to work there for, God, it was nearly six years. Um, and I loved every aspect of that, that role. So I was interacting with people on a daily basis. Um, the job that I was doing there was for people with reduced mobility. Um, so that would be anyone that has any form of disability um, or even finds it hard to maneuver themselves through the airport, whether that's whether they're deaf, whether they're blind, uh, they could have autism, um, many different things. Um, and that was really, like I really loved working with that. Yeah, meeting people on a daily that's basis. That's another passion of yours, yeah, helping people. Exactly. And, and they're, telling you their story you're getting to know them for the brief time that you have as you're bringing them through the airport um, and then of course I'm getting to interact with planes on a daily basis I'm which is out, yeah you're, you're, out you're winning all smelling over smelling the jet fuel I'm loving it um, so I enjoyed my oh, you're one of those people oh, I'm one probably, of them. you're one of those I'm one of them. I, I, I still watch the planes the people that lick the planes yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I get you like it, yeah. it, that's true passion like being able like literally the smell of the planes is like yeah. gives you that amazing feeling yeah, yeah. So uh, you're on top of the world at this stage. Yeah, I'm loving loving things. I'm still um, doing my flight training as well. So I'm saving money. I'm going, doing lessons, continuing my work, which is really nice then, because when you're starting to do your lessons and you see your dream on a daily basis, mm. it keeps you motivated and it keep, I mean, like it's hard. It's 14 Very subjects, hard. it's 14 subjects you have to study. Um, so when you see that your dream, and it's not on a daily easy. Basis. It's not like a, it's not an easy thing. It's like a, it's like really hard on the brain type of studying. It's just a lot of content that you have to absorb in a short amount of time, and then you know you obviously need to know what you're doing. It's not like you can just breeze past this. Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of need to know that. Um, so then what happened was in 2010, 
Um, sorry, no, it wasn't. It was 2012. 2012. Uh, um, one evening yeah. in 2012. It was 2012. Um, I was with one of my mates, and it was actually we were going in to watch a Dublin game. Um, I just finished uh, an early morning shift, so I was finished in the afternoon after being up from 4 a.m. Um, I remember leaving the airport, was like flying home because I knew I was like, right, I'm under time pressure. Got home, quick shower, put the jersey on. Uh, didn't even have time for a bus, so I ended up picking him up in a taxi. Got dropped off in um, just just behind Clonmel Road. Uh, we managed to go in get a beer, and just after one point, <laughs> we were walking uh, back down Clonmel Road towards um, the entrance to Crow Park, and I remember we were having a crack and we were having to, we were having a laugh. And I went, I, he said something stupid to me, and I turned around and I wanted to give him a punch or something. Mm. Um, and as I was doing that, then I felt pretty much all the air just get sucked out of my body. Um, I was like just like that and that's when I suffered a cardiac arrest so what age um I was oh god what was I just ni- 18 19 Jesus yeah. Christ yeah it was not actually no no sorry it wasn't what age was I 20 I was 20 then yeah it was 20, 20 then and like, obviously you had like no other medical yeah. condition you were aware no. of or anything along the lines I had like just literally the year before I just had my uh, medical done for flying uh, it's a class one medical so it's a highly intensive medical you have to char- check your cardio, um, your your heart. Um, have to check your blood pressure. You have to check everything. It's a full, it's a full MOT of your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of course. So that was all fine. Um, and then of course, uh, what happened was I suffered a cardiac arrest. Um, so I was dead effectively. My heart stopped. Um, and what happened then was there was just a number of again, again, very, very, very lucky for the second time in my life where I was in the right place at the right time and the chain of events were just perfect um, and the conditions were perfect and I'll go into that in a little bit more it's called the chain of survival so what happened was um, I hit the deck uh, my friend um, wasn't wasn't really sure what was going on um, there was an off-duty paramedic who was actually passing at the time um, and he copped straight away that you know something's not right here uh, so he came over to see what was going on considering just some guy just on the floor um, and the first thing you'll think of when you um, see a year old well, when you see a young yeah. guy in a Dublin jersey on the ground in the middle of the day <laughs> you know what's <laughs> the first that? thing that comes to your yeah, mind yeah, is that yeah, exactly, your, your yeah. man is absolutely wasted yeah. um, so people are actually and, and anytime I ever give a talk about this um, I actually use some of the images um, that was posted on social media that day that it was actually um, people thought I was drunk so they were actually going to their phone Jesus taking Christ. photographs of this guy on the ground not realising that's the world we live in we even, even more now Absolutely. even more it's like that yeah um, so what happened then was is he um, started compression straight away um, so he realised that there was no pulse um, something was going on so he started compressions um, rang for an ambulance um, the way we operate in Dublin and it's an, an amazing um, system and I absolutely have such admiration for everyone that's within the emergency services um, industry. Yeah, big, big shout out to uh, everybody doing that. It's so, one of the more selfless things yeah, you can absolutely. do in your life. Um, so what happened there was we have Dublin Fire Brigade which is um, a unique system um, around the world which we where we have a combined fire and EMS system. So any priority Delta or Echo calls they're the highest priority calls that will go out. So generally what will happen is you'll have a fire appliance dispatched. Um, and what happens there is you've called for an ambulance, but all of a sudden a fire brigade turns up and you're like, I called for an ambulance. Why is there a fire brigade here? But what a lot of people actually don't realize is that every single firefighter within Dublin Fire Brigade is actually a trained paramedic. So for those higher priority calls, when a fire engine is actually dispatched, 
instead of an ambulance turning up with only two paramedics, you now actually have a team of five people on hand to be able to delegate tasks, to take over on compressions and so on. So a fire brigade um, turned up, um, they then took over from the paramedics, start doing compressions, um, and then uh, a defibrillator was there on scene, so I was def defibbed there and then. Um, unfortunately, the first round of defibrillation didn't work. Um, then had the second round of defibrillation, which then Man, eventually just imagining worked. this scene right now is like yeah. so intense. Yeah. I'm like, I literally love you so much, and yeah. like, like I haven't really talked about it in this much detail. Like, yeah. to, I can, I'm just imagining that happening right now, and it's it honestly yeah, it's a scary, scary. It's, a, it's absolutely scary, thought. And like, what's even scarier is the fact that literally when this whole incident happened, um, and I'll come back to that now in a second, actually, but. Um, when a sudden cardiac arrest happens, um, it can happen to anyone at any time, regardless of your age, regardless of your health. You could be the fittest person in the world and still uh, suffer a sudden cardiac arrest. Um, and there's a number that's, even to this day, that's just imprinted in my mind. And it's not our sales targets or it's not our, our figures of what sales yeah, on the dash. Yeah, yeah. That number is actually 13. And the reason why that number is embedded in my head is because 13 is the number of people that actually die on a daily basis here in Ireland, just in Ireland alone, due to sudden cardiac arrest. Sudden cardiac arrest, as in like they're not aware. They're not aware. They're so, not aware that yeah. there's nothing wrong, they don't know if there's anything wrong. It they may, may have a pre-existing medical condition, they may be in their perfectly good health, but 13 people a day unfortunately died due to a cardiac arrest. Um, and that's majority of those are out of hospital. So you could be at home, they could be in the workplace, they could be in the gym. This happens on a daily basis. Um, yeah. So, when a cardiac arrest takes place, every single 60 seconds that happens from the moment you've had a cardiac arrest, your chances of survival drops by 10%. Jesus Christ. So you're literally, time is, like you're, you're, you're in a time is of the essence. Every what was second you were telling counts. me before, the golden hour? The, yeah, so a golden hour will come to major, mainly major trauma events. So a car crash, um, someone that has serious trauma, or if it's a case where you've had um, a stroke or cardiac arrest. The term in the industry is within that golden hour where they can get you from point of scene to a specialist care hospital within that hour. That way you have a cardiac team at your, at your side. Uh, you could have a trauma team at your side, getting, giving you blood, getting you into surgery, whatever, whatever that case may be. So the golden hour is always an important, um, important aspect of the picture. But for me, my whole life changed. From that moment. Within 16 minutes. So I went from knowing what well, my career well, was. Say 13 minutes for the reference of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it went from knowing what my career was, knowing what I wanted to do with my life, to it all been over. Um, so I eventually woke up in hospital. Um, I seen my mum and dad there, which was, um, sorry, I seen my dad there actually. Um, and I realized, okay, well, something's not right. Mm. Um, were you aware of what was going on? Like when you woke up, it, you just like, you passed out and you woke up and you're yeah. in a hospital now. I woke up, I was in a hospital and I was like, what is going on? This is very strange. Um, and I went to sit up, and at the time I couldn't sit up, and I was like, what is going on? Why can't I sit up? Um, what a scary feeling. Yeah, and I tried to sit up again, and I still couldn't sit up, and I was like, this is so strange. And I went to talk, and I felt like I, my mouth couldn't move correctly. And again, I went to lift my hand, and my hand couldn't move. Um, and then I realized, and I started to freak out, actually. I was like, oh God, this is, yeah. this is terrifying. Um, and of course, that, um, that event 
had um, an impact on, on, my, on my brain. I lost an awful lot of vo oxygen. Um, I was starved of oxygen for a number of minutes. Which can affect motor skills, which is, Exactly, yeah. So that really kind of took me a, quite a while to get back. Um, I had to learn all those skills again. I had to learn my memory tests. Um, what, was the, what was the reference I was reading about? Was yeah, it, so, you were laughing at the fact somebody so, asked you to draw something? Yeah, so I, I was doing a lot of physio. So for me, it was all about physio. It was all about, you know, getting movement back and getting taught. And my speech came back very quickly, which was great. Um, motor skills were starting to come back. The right side wasn't, wasn't perfect. Um, so the doctor came in one day and he asked me, Bernard, can you do me a favor and draw me a clock? I was like, like, come on, like really, clock. like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like I'm, would like to think I'm, you know, I'm fairly intelligent. Um, so I know what a clock looks like, you know, I should be doing something a little bit more proactive than, you know, you yeah, come so in you're and ask me to draw a, a clock. Pissed off yeah, well, like, look, I, I was in hospital for, you know, a couple of months at this stage. So you're um, just sick of this now. I'm sick of this now. I'm like, oh, come on, like it's really. Um, so he says, look, I'll tell you what, um, you draw a clock and I'll get out of your hair. I'll leave you alone. I'll leave you alone, so, all right, challenge accepted. That's like me coming up and asking you for a pocket money. <laughs> and I still say no. I still say no, I never get it, I never get it. Um, so yeah, so I got I got a pen, I put the pen to paper, and I just remember um, basically tears just streaming from my face because I knew a clock told the time. Like I'm wearing a watch now, I know what a clock looks like. A nice watch at that. But, I couldn't remember what and it like, looked like. Can I ask you, like, the feeling, is it because you, you... So you knew what clock did, right? Yep. So when you're trying to think of a clock now, after all of this ever happening, like, is it your brain just cannot reach that image, can't reach that memory, can't... No. It's just not I just, there. I just knew it told the time, but I couldn't for the life of me remember what it looked like. So what happened when you tried to draw it? I drew a triangle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I drew a triangle for a clock. And I remember looking at my dad, I was like, that's not a clock, is it? And he's like, no. I was oh, like, oh, no. no. Could be a clock. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so like yeah. I realised at that point it's like right, we still have a we still have a bit of work to do, um, and then luckily, thank God, everything came back. Um, it was a long it was a long road. It was very difficult. How long? Um, a lot of up and down. It was good six to nine months really. Um, in After total, going from, from, from think start about this to, yeah. yeah, think about where you were, the path you thought you were on. Yeah. sixteen minutes. Yeah. six to nine months, yeah. and then now 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 you, now you start. Now, now your brain must be start going, okay, well, I, I can't. First of all, you may give up. The one of the things that, and, and that's going to run through anybody's mind, but I remember, again, reading a little bit more about you, that there was moments where you yeah. had lapse of motivation to make this yeah. better. And again, this is why I was referencing your, your dad, Bernard, yeah. uh, kind of coming through. And there was a moment where you said, I think you were lying in bed and you didn't have the blinds open and stuff, and your yeah. dad kind of went over and, and kind of gave you the words of encouragement of, like, you can sit here, you can close your eyes, and you can dream. Yeah. Or... You can get up and make something happen. Exactly, yeah. So, so for him, like he has three uh, very famous words that you know he will always reference to me every now and then, and it's well, it's one word mentioned three times, and it's called try, try, and try again, um, and that always will. That's will your philosophy. That, like, you've helped yeah. me with this. Like you have yeah. brought me to the side, and before I knew it was from your dad's yeah. crazy, my father passing <laughs> on, uh, uh, passing on this knowledge. It really is yeah. the simple things, the simple sayings are the things that can keep you motivated. Because yeah. people, I was talking to Josh, my other guest, um, the last time about this, and it's like people want to complicate an answer, and sometimes the most simple answer is the correct answer. Yeah. You know, because the secret to finding is to stop searching. Almost, it's just to, like try, try, try again. Exactly. Keep going. So yeah, it, it was a case where you know. It was 
and a, being blunt about it, it was it was right. You know, yeah, your bench was something pretty tough. In fact, it was very tough. But you know what? Like, you're gonna sit there and whinge about it. Or you're gonna get up and make something of yourself. Um, and I realised, you know what? You're right. I, I need to. I, I just I need to sorry, do. I'm dangerous. Like, I just don't think people understand yeah. six to nine months in that environment yeah. and being able to kickstart your back, kick, uh, kickstart yourself back into this mode. Yeah. What was the moment? It was. It was more the case where I realised one day I was, I was sitting there and I was like, Jesus, what am I going to do with myself? Like, I don't know. When, and I, it was actually fear. It was. It was fear of the fact that I actually don't know anything else. I don't know. Anything else that actually interviews or that that interests me? Yeah. Um. I don't know or see myself doing anything else other than flying airplanes for a living. And this like, affected. And everything that I had previously taught myself and structured myself towards is now gone. So I was like, oh my god, I'm start. Like, I feel like I'm a six year old starting all over again, saying, what am I going to be when you I grow had, up? You literally had all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Absolutely, and that was a big, big lesson um, as well as like you know you can't bank on absolutely everything. You need to have a backup plan. Um, so in saying that then I, uh, my backup plan was uh, my love for technology I absolutely love technology um, I'm a, like you know I openly admit I'm a big geek yeah, um, okay, anything, anything to do with tech I really get it, I get interested in uh, you know what um, just not the, when I was doing a bit of, <laughs> when I was doing a bit of research on you right because you're always slagging me a little bit you know about vlogs and all this stuff you're a little vlogger yourself. I no, know you're a tech. No, no, uh, no. Everyone go onto YouTube and uh, <laughs> type in Bernard Nolan. Uh, vlogs from London, vlogs from New York, uh, a full movie of you skydiving from Dubai. That's different. You that's big different. Nerd. That's different. Uh, and a Bernard. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, technology, one of your passions. So, obviously, what's happening in your mind is like, yeah. don't feel like I know anything, yeah. but something crazy is after happening to me. I'm passionate about technology your brain is like how do I merge this into something that you know can make a difference since you know after you just can't fly after a cardiac arrest is that just it you're not allowed to no when you have um, a significant event like that um, you know airlines won't touch you and to be rightly so like you know God only knows what could, what could happen in the future yeah you um, can't I mean it's 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 unfortunate but it's, it's not only that as well like you know what I mean you, way, have to, you, know? you have to think about things logically as well like if you're going to go and start pumping more money into flying and something's to happen again or you don't even get a job at the end of it like you know it's, you're, it's stupid you're just pissing away and this is where we were talking about at the start of the podcast of the uh, the difference between having the reality and the passion there yeah. and being able to you know ch- choose not yeah. be delusional yeah. but use that fire that passion to move on to something else mm-hmm. yeah so um, it was 2016 then um, I was working for Oracle tech company at the time and just from Shout my, my uh, previous and my past experiences um, within the you know what's happened to me um I knew that there has to be a better way to change the system. Like, when you think about it... When you say system, what do you mean? I'll, I'll explain this now. So, like, you know, we're in Dublin. We have a population of 1.3 million people for this city. How many ambulances do you think we have in Dublin? Not enough, is the give me, give me an idea how many you think there is. Well, I do have a friend that works in this, so he has told me a couple of things, but I just... Uh, God, I forget now, but if I was to guess, yeah. because I know it's low, probably 20? Less. So Dublin Fire Brigade operate 1.3 million people, less than 20. Yeah. yeah. So Dublin Fire Brigade operates um, within the Dublin region. They're responsible for the ambulance and the EMS service just within Dublin. Then you have the HSE, the National Ambulance Service, that covers outside of Dublin. Okay. Um, so just for Dublin City alone, um, there's around 14 ambulances that cover a population of 1.3 million people. 
which is crazy to think. So, you know, when it comes down to prioritization of resources, where those ambulances go, who needs the most help as quickly as possible, um, it got me thinking, I was like, God, how can we better allocate resources? How can we make sure that people that actually have you know, the people the that most need it critical now, yeah, like, because like, what way were they categorizing it? Like, so like it all comes down, yeah. So it all comes down to um, to the prioritization of the call. So the emergency call handler will ask a number of questions. People always ask, "Why am I getting answered this?" You know, million and one questions. But what that does is it allows them to be able to better prioritize that call. Mm. So is the patient breathing? Is there you know any bleeding? All all these kind of questions will will come down, and that allows them to be able to better res allocate resources. Um, but in saying that, I was kind of thinking, it was like, okay, how can we enable technology to give more information about the individual at the time of that incident to the people that are making those decisions yeah. as to where those resources goes? Because at the minute, they're only reliant on what someone says to them down the phone. So, um, which could be anything. Which could be anything. So um, for me, I was thinking um, of an app that would allow users to be able to send vital information directly to emergency services um, and that will contain all of their pre-existing medical conditions any current medications that they're taking if they have any allergies all this kind of stuff this was an app this was an app yeah well this is what i was thinking in my mind that there has to be a way of doing this um, so i started a company called MediMe, um, and with that i realized that actually this could have a massive impact on not only people that have you know serious medical conditions but then just you know, lower down down that, that tree and down that line of, you know, anyone that has diabetes, anyone that has autism, anyone that has any learning dis um, difficulties. It you affects know, so, so many, many people, people, absolutely. And then it comes down to, well, what happens if if someone is deaf and they, and, and they can't make an, an emergency call? How do they explain their situation to the, the person who's sending those resources? What if they can't speak that language? And then I thought about it even more. What if I go on holidays? I'm in a different country and all of a sudden I need help. And now I've got a pre-existing medical condition, but how do I communicate that to someone who I don't speak that language to? Or if worst case scenario is if I'm unconscious and I can't communicate. Somebody literally is in the situation yeah, you were in. Exactly. So um, I started MediMe and allowed technology and an app to be able to communicate vital information about a patient in a matter of seconds. Uh, anywhere in the world and regardless of language barriers. So that's what many does in a, in a nutshell. How was that not a thing yeah. before? This is amazing. It's crazy, yeah. It, it was crazy when I was looking at action it. on it, Bernard, well, that's except it. for you. Like, so I think for me, um, my whole um, concept of this was, you know, I didn't want to, and I, I started it not with the idea of making money. I wanted to do something that would not only help me, personally because god i want something to make sure it works next time yeah, yeah. but also other people um, and that's what a social entrepreneur is um so i started that with the idea of just getting something out there mm. not with making money but then realizing that one there's a market for it two there's an awful lot of people that actually need this and three there's an awful lot of companies that are actually willing to pay for it um so um <laughs> yeah so, so so it was, it was good um we then started to expand um uh, we we had many me getting launched um not only here in Ireland, um, which you know worked very well with a number of emergency services that currently use it, um, but it was the same then in London. Uh, it was the same in Dubai uh, with the Dubai National Ambulance Service, um, and a lot of and again, like I said, a lot of uh, the people I'm going to introduce you to um, and very good friends of mine um, will tell you not only their stories as to how they help other people within Ireland, but how MediMe has actually helped them. Uh, 
make sure that they're getting it's not the right just resources. That, it's not just with medical people, like it's with my taxi, it's where yeah. it's where it's where a it's you you can get a I was looking up, you can get it built into jackets, you can get it built into body like, armor, body armor, yeah. rings, anything you really yeah. want, you know. Yeah. So the when so obviously I have this idea and yeah. you know it's a, an amazing idea, but again a lot of people have amazing ideas but nothing ever happens. And then there was one yeah. moment that you told me and I don't know if this is if it kind of links up, but I, I do want to speak about it because it really kind of describes you as a a person, <laughs> right? Um, is the person that's able to turn on uh, when, when when you need to mm-hmm. uh, and when when uh, your back is against the fence. And I think you were at a business conference at one stage yeah. where there was a slot open that you weren't <laughs> supposed to be on. Yeah. I can't really remember. May have again had a few drinks. So this was um, <laughs> no, this was so this was um, this was the launch of um, which was actually our launch at the Dublin Tech Summit. And of course, um, when um, you have your own company, you know, um, you want to talk about it to everyone. You want to you know shout from the rooftops about it and um, tell everyone that you meet all about yeah it. of course um and not only that as well but you know i went from being in employment working for someone to working for myself and taking that leap of faith leaving security Man. leaving all that stuff behind and you know that in itself was a massive fear just going oh god I it's am everyone's now. fear bernard it's Actually, literally everyone's fear that's what, what that's like, what stops people from making that jump that's an awful lot of people. That's a, a that's a, one of the biggest barriers to people starting their own businesses is fear and the, the idea of known. Well, actually, the idea of the, the unknown, unknown. Um, outside of security. And you know what it is yeah. because not it's because people I feel have been a little bit conditioned to believe that they need to be under a company, they need to be under something in order. Like, look, to I, do I, something. I absolutely not that there's no benefit. Yeah, in like, that. I of think, course, there is, but. There is a time in your yeah. life where you do have to do something about it. Like for me, when, when I made that leap, it was like, I am now 100% solely responsible for my income. So every single step that I, I, I make, every move um, that I decide, any decision will have a direct impact on whether I get paid or not. Um, so it actually then elevates you to the next stage where you're willing to really put yourself out there because you have no choice. You actually have no choice. Um, now the concept, is a liberating feeling, yeah, which but is, at the same and a terrifying time, one as well. Like I've never, um, and up to this point, like the idea of speaking in front of people would terrify me. I'm like, absolutely no way, wouldn't do it. If someone asked me to speak up in front of a room, I'd be like, nope. See you later. Thanks. Ask someone else. No, some people more. Pe- there's yeah. more people that are afraid of public speaking than yeah, debt. Exactly. And now. At the Dublin Tech Summit then when we were launching. Oh, look at you. I found, no, I found myself down saying, like, I actually went up to the person and said, is there any way I can speak at this? You know, like, which was crazy for me to think that I'm actually it's going to ask you know what you're talking someone. about. Well, I know what I'm talking about, but also it's more of a case where, you know, I need to make sure that other people know about us. Um, so at that time, I went and asked and, you know, being quite naive and new to this whole thing, um, your man turned around and laughed at me and was just like, no. Like you have to pay in order to speak at an event. Yeah, okay. Like, that's right, fair. okay, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Say, that's fair. Right? Oh, yeah. And then when you get to some point people will pay you to speak at an event, but I was nowhere near there. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just way with confidence yeah, though. But I, I look I asked a question, um and your man he, he turned he turned around and said no. Um but then actually as it turned out, and again just by pure chance, um a slot opened up. Uh, someone didn't turn up for their speaking event or cancelled. Um, and he came back to me and says, do you want to still speak at this? I was like, yeah, of course I do. I was like, right, well, you've got 10 minutes and you're on. I was like, oh, God. No script, no, no script. Like plan no, anything. I didn't even have a laptop with me, so I didn't have time to get a slides put together or anything. Right. I was like, oh, no. So it was a matter of, right, 
get out on stage, talk to you know a crowd of people that you've never spoken to before, talk about your company. Um, now, it wasn't the best talk I've ever given in my life, but you know what? It was something that made me realize that you know when you're given opportunities, you need to grab it by the horns and just go and do it. Mm. Um, and learn, I learned an awful lot about that. And then in the startup world, it's very much a case where you're always looking at opportunities. And, and that's what entrepreneurs are. They're opportunists. They're looking for the next move, the next big thing. And they, they don't judge it. They just, they, they, they just do it. They just do it. They just yeah. do it. So when you go up on stage, no script, no nothing, you're there. There's probably a bunch of people that went on before you that are blowing the crowd away with all this yeah. crazy stuff that they have to offer. You're there, you're like this, probably a little Medi yeah. Me badge. Yeah. Uh, what, like, what do you do? Like, what, what's, like, you obviously get on stage. I just told my story. I told, I told exactly what was going on, and it was very raw. It was very to the point. It was very much a case where this is a problem. I've had this problem. I've experienced this problem firsthand. There's millions of people around the world that face similar issues to this. We have a solution. This is something I'm going to do in order to help improve people. I'd love if other people can get behind me. If there's anyone out there that are, are you know, have an extra few quid in their back pocket and want to put some money towards it, I think you're underselling your this. I think you're underselling um, this. I think that you went out there and it was, it, you're being humble right now, but I think that was, you blew the crowd away. It was a good talk, but it could have been a lot, a lot more refined. It could have been a lot more, you know, if there was any preparation put into it. But sometimes these things are, are actually more genuine and it's off the cuff. Um, so, no, it, it was good. But um, it was good for me to be able to get out there and actually talk about something that I was, I was very passionate about. Is that what changed, is that what changed the direction of Medi Me after that? No, I, I, Medi Me was always kind of in that. It was always going on the right trajectory. It was always going... Um, in the segment that we were going in. And what actually, what, what happened was, is when it was launched and when it was um, been utilized by a number of different services, um, we actually were in a very fortunate position where we had people coming to us, um, which was amazing. Um, and what I actually found out there was what we were doing was I did a survey. Well, actually I was looking around me and I can see like even now, just parked down the road there, you know, there's five, six different taxis. Um, and when you look at the amount of taxis that there is, is in Dublin, but definitely more, um, more taxis than exactly. ambulances anyway. Well, there's, there's around 12, <laughs> I think it was, is it 10,000 taxis or something like that around, around in, in Dublin? Um, or within the wider wider, wider region. And I was got, got me thinking, I was like, okay, there's ordinary people, and again, coming back to the statement, there's ordinary people out there that are doing extraordinary things. So they're uh, what we call CFRs, which is Community First Responders. So these are people who will take time out of their day to go and upskill themselves to where they are able to respond to emergencies within their community. Um, now, they're limited as to, in terms of what they can do, but you know, even if it's doing compressions, it's a start. It's getting oxygen, like once you're doing compressions, it's getting uh, oxygen into the, getting oxygen and blood flow to the brain. That's very, very important. Um, so that's what these guys do. And um, it got me thinking, it's like, right, well, if there's that many taxis, and there's that many people out there that are willing to help. Why can't we have a CFR system in place where taxi drivers are actually willing, those that, those that want to put themselves forward, are willing to respond in, in case of an emergency? So we teamed up with my taxi, who are now free now, um, and we put a CFR um, initiative in place. And we have over 500 taxi drivers trained in CPR um, that are able to respond to emergencies or if you know they're driving down the road and they see a car crash or someone walks out in front of a car and they get a smack, 
you know, they're on the road every single day. You have cyclists that are passing them on a daily There's basis. There's nobody that sees more things in Dublin than a taxi man. Yeah, absolutely. So these are people that are, are you know, genuine interested in helping other people and there's an awful lot of people out there that want to do good um, and it's given them a platform to be able to make a, a, a wider difference so you know we, we've done that here in Dublin we've also done it in London as well uh, with uh, my taxi as well um, and we've kind of actually taken it to the next step in London where my taxi have actually gone ahead and bought defibrillators and those fifth those defibrillators are within 14 taxis so there's moving defibrillators around the city. We'll have to make sure we get one of those ones if we are on a night out anyway. There's a few of them. Uh, me ones? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so we got that in place um, and that initiative is still there now, uh, which is great to see. Um, and then we have, um, like in Dubai, we had Fly Dubai Airlines. Um, they approached us because they have um, a lot of passengers on board their aircraft. Um, and it'll, well, but I mean, like, uh, yeah. like the, it's funny because the list goes on. You, yeah. you you can attach this to almost everything. everything. So, like, if you were to look at it now, like, what sort of impact has MediMe? What do you feel MediMe has had since, you know, something that was in your brain, in your head, yeah. now a real thing? What impact? Like, have you had statistics on the actual impact it's had, or like just from what have you seen in your own experience? What what impact has MediMe had? Um, it's hard to it's tell. It's a weighted question because there's a lot of, you know. There's a lot of variables knows, there. It's hard to tell. Like, it's, it's hard for us to be able to track and say, you know, we've saved X amount of lives and whatever it but is. But even if it's one, boy, even, if it's, even one. if it's one. Even if it's one. Like, but what I do know is that um, if it has an impact on one person or if one person sees, you know, what can be achieved if you just put your mind to something and actually yeah. go for it yeah. and start something else themselves that's even better again, then, you know, I feel like my job is done, um, but I, I know someone else will tank them down the road for it, and that's that. That was always the goal, um, was to improve the system and improve that link. I know I'm going to introduce you to one of my uh, one of my close friends, and who's actually a form, another CEO um, who started a company called Dronesar, um, Oshin McGrath, and he's actually a captain within the Irish Defence Forces. Um, and head of their flight training um, as well. Um, so. What we've done there is we've been able to use MediMe to locate uh, people that may be, um, their location may not be unknown if they're in the mountains uh, or if they're in a rural part of Ireland, we don't know where they are. Um, that would allow us to send their exact GPS coordinates um, that will go to the um, aeromedical dispatch centre within the HSE, who will then dispatch a helicopter to that individual. Or worst case scenario, what we can use as well is, or sorry, in a different case scenario, we actually send a drone. I know Shane will talk to you a little bit more about mm. our collaboration between uh, MediMe and DroneSAR. Um, and again, what we can do is we can actually send a drone off to that individual. Um, so instead of having to send a helicopter to do reconnaissance, um, we can send a drone, which is a lot cheaper, costs a lot less in fuel, um, and you can get the exact same results through thermal imaging cameras. That's absolutely insane. Yeah. You know, when I knew the world was taking a bit a big change, I went to an airport and. Uh, I saw that there was a no drones allowed, for and honestly, obvious, it was just like reasons. I just saw that sign. I was like, "It's like the Star Wars or something." I was like, "This is crazy." I was like looking at the guard, the guard are going by there. I was like, "Have we done something bad?" Um, but listen, uh, Bernard, the what's so all of that now has happened, and you're yeah. still so young. You have a, a beautiful family uh, that you're taking care of. You, you've got you've done amazing things. You're an extraordinary person, in my opinion. Thank you. The uh, what's like. 
Is there anything else on your mind right now? Because not, not that you've settled in any way, shape or form. No, but I'm I saying that you've got so much more. Your past four years. Yeah, is probably... uh, it was a bit of a, to be honest with you, it was a, very, it was a roller coaster. Uh, a lot of up and downs. Um, there was, it wasn't easy. I think as well, that's not really talked about an awful lot, is the other side of what a startup is and what a CEO is. Um, and it's very dark. It's very difficult. There's more downs than there is ups. That's um, why you have to be passionate. And that's your backup feel. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's, it's incredibly difficult, you know. Um, and you know, a lot of times when you look at blogs or if you look at posts about you know people starting their own businesses, if someone turns around to me now and says they're thinking of starting their own business, I think you're mad. You're crazy. But at the same time, it's a good crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's um, and it, and and it's it's you know you really need to have that drive behind you. Um, to keep going, especially when times are tough. And again, that whole try, try and try again mentality. And this is uh, the last time I had Josh on, uh, my, my dealer guest, and I'm probably gonna ask most of the guests this near the end, is that, you know, I always ask what their philosophy in life is, but yeah. I kind of already know yours already. And uh, <laughs> you know what, man, I just wanna say, like, we've gone through a lot here, and you yeah. probably don't, aren't even aware, we've probably been speaking for probably an hour or so, right? But um, what I wanna say to you is two things. Yeah. One, I just wanna say thank you so much for just being you. Not for this, for just being you, man. You've inspired look, me so much to, like, to do something like this. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure that, that having somebody like you in my life in general. And uh, I'm just gonna wait for this big city bin to go by. And, uh, <laughs> and it's just uh, amazing to have you. Listen, uh, I'm gonna leave it at that. It's not because I want it, it's because uh, unfortunately we just can't, uh, I can't take you for much longer. But uh, what I wanna say is just thank you so much for coming on, man. I no really appreciate it. Like it's- Likewise. A handshake. Male, male please, son. Please come bring it in, man. It's, I appreciate okay. I really appreciate you. Guys, thank you so mu uh, much for watching uh, the second episode of Now We're Talking. It's amazing, the feedback I've got so far from it and I love all the support. And um, be sure to check out Bernard Nolan, Maddie Me. Uh, make sure that if you know, <laughs> you know anybody that would you know benefit from this, please let them know as well and uh, just thank you so much anything else to say Bernard? that's all good thank you father all right <laughs> thank you father